Hey, welcome to our podcast. I'm Tom Blackwood, Executive Pastor at Calvary Church. We hope you'll find something every week that inspires and encourages you in your faith. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen so that you'll never miss an update. Hope you enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. We're honored this morning to have Pastor Choco de Jesus here ministering uh, with us today. Pastor Choco is the general treasurer of the Assemblies of God USA. In the structure and the flow chart of the Assemblies of God, there's four leadership positions in the executive leadership team. He's one of those four. Um, he's a former pastor from the Chicago area, a little small church, about 17,000 people. Um, it was had incredible influence in the Chicago area before coming to Springfield there. Um, has sat in front of presidents, has had the voice and the ear of leaders in this nation, and has been a a catalyst for an incredible move of God in the Chicago area that continues to this day. I can say a lot of different things about Pastor Choco as far as accomplishments, but here's what I'll say from a personal perspective. The last several years when we worked in Springfield and Pastor Choco and his wife Elizabeth came to serve there in the national office, they're, they're obviously with new leadership coming in and positions. There are, there are first impressions that are always made. And I can tell you that you're about to be uh, blessed by a man of God who's going to preach the word, who understands what it is to be a servant, who understands what it is to have an assignment changed, but the calling stays the same. And Pastor Choco and his wife Elizabeth came into that position, and my, uh, my first impression was, here's a man who loves Jesus and just loves to serve the church. And I can get behind a person like that, and I can listen to see what God has to say to me through him. And so would you do me the favor of welcoming Pastor Choco de Jesus to our church here this morning? Pastor, come. Well, good morning. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Sometimes you're just going to have to tell yourself, bless the Lord, no matter what you're going through in life. Because it's not what you're going through that matters. It's where you're going to that matters. Come on, somebody. What a joy to be here, my friend. And... uh, Thank you, John and, and Kim, They're great, great leaders and pastors. I told the first service, I'll tell you guys, it was our loss at the national office, but it was your gain here in Greensboro, North Carolina, to have these great pastors. Would you give a hand to our pastors here and their family? Thank you. Thank you for your leadership. We, are, we celebrate them. We celebrate what you guys are doing. We celebrate... Um, The legacy of Brother Crabtree here and his wife and their family, 35 years pastoring the church as well. Would you give it up to them as well? So thank you. Thank you for what you've done in the kingdom. And I'm glad you're in church today. I'm glad you got out of your bed and you told your blanket in the pillow, I'm going to church. And some of you that are watching, you should be in church. Come on, somebody. It's the best place to be. And if you were forced to go to church today, you should thank the person who forced you. Because this ain't a funeral. This is the church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And he's not dead. Come on. He's not dead. He's not dead. We may be dead, but he's not dead. 
He's alive and well. I told the people that I spoke to him this morning. And he wants me to tell you that he loves you. This is for somebody here today. He loves you in your mess. He loves you. And he could pull a message out of your mess if you allow him to today. So I'm glad you're in church. I'm glad you came to church. How many of you all, this is the first time you've ever heard of me. Raise your hand. This is your first time. Wow. 99% of you guys. Father, forgive them. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Well, I love, listen, listen to me. I love, I love the last service. You know why? Because I can preach as long as I want. Thank you for the two people who said amen. The other ones were reluctant. They're like, Haha, you better hurry up and finish. I got plans. But I'm glad to be here, uh, here in Greensboro. I'm today, obviously preaching here. And then tomorrow night, preaching at the ordination. I invite you to come to celebrate your pastor, his wife. It's the highest level in the assemblies of God. The highest level. And that's what your pastor, Pastor Kim, is achieving. So you want to be a part of that history that you were here as she was being recognized as an ordained minister of the Assemblies of God USA. So we praise the Lord for that. Amen. And so we invite you to come. So I'll be here tomorrow night. And then Tuesday I'll be here with uh, North Carolina, Rick Ross and his team. And, but nevertheless, we invite you to come Monday and Tuesday to be a part of what God is doing. Hey, let me show you a picture of my wife, Elizabeth. My lovely wife. We've been married for 34 years. And uh, June 11, 1988. Hey guys, I'm trying to help you out. You got to know these dates. Amen. <laughs> June 11, 1988. And I tell people that when Elizabeth was 12 years old, true story, I was 14. And I saw her in church. And I said, hmm, I'm going to marry this girl. And uh, we didn't date since she was 17. And I was 19. And uh, I didn't know she was a pastor's daughter. So Lord have mercy on me. Amen. And Elizabeth and I have three beautiful children. Let me show you my tribe. Uh, this is my tribe. So this is my oldest daughter to your left. Your left is my oldest daughter, Alex, and her husband, Anthony. They're the music directors in Chicago, New Life Covenant Church. And then my youngest daughter, Jasenia, and her husband, Anders. Uh, he is a young adults pastor in Colorado. And then my son, Pito, and his wife, Eden, who were, who was part of the worship team in Chicago. And so all my three kids are married and bless the Lord. Come on, somebody. They are out of the house. They're like arrows in my quiver. I shoot them out. Come on. I got my girlfriend back. That's right. That's right. But the greatest legacy I can leave on planet Earth is not that I alter some books or pastor the church in Chicago or the general treasurer. The greatest legacy I can leave on planet earth is that my three children love Jesus. Come on. They love Jesus. And so that's the greatest legacy. Let me show you uh, my picture of my grandchildren. How many grandparents we have in the house? Yes. Beautiful, beautiful ministry. God should have given us the grandchildren first. Yeah, I tell you. This is Charlie Grace with the peace sign. Now, obviously, I'm Hispanic. And uh, 
I went to my mother. Now, I didn't tell this to the first service. That's why I love the last service. Because I can preach as long as I want. Someone said, Amen. Amen. And so I go to my mother and I said, Mommy, I got my first granddaughter. My mother says, What's her name? I said, Charlie. She said, Charlie. Isn't that a boy's name? I said, Today the names are interchangeable, Mommy. You got to let it go. Just move on in Jesus' name. And so Charlie Grace, she's going to be seven years old. And around eight months ago, thereabouts, she FaceTimed me. And she FaceTimed Elizabeth and I. And she said, Papa, I have a question for you. I said, Charlie, what's the question? She said, Papa, do you have the mostest money out of everybody? I said, well, no, I don't have the mostest money out of everybody. But if you're saying I got more money than your mother and father, then yes, I do. I have more money than She said, good, Papa, because I need some things. $300 later, we ordered from Amazon. And my daughter, Alex, the oldest one, said, Papi, you cannot be doing things like that. I said, Alex, I can do whatever I want to do. It's my money. Amen. During 2020, Charlie, during the riots in America, in Chicago, Charlie was in the streets of Chicago feeding police officers, giving them food. I've always taught my children, we must engage culture. You cannot be afraid of culture. And so that's where she was at. So then this is my second granddaughter. I went to my mother. I said, Mommy, I got my second granddaughter. She says, what's her name? I said, Reagan. She said, Reagan. Isn't that a president's name? I said, Mommy, for the love of God, just let it go. Let it go. So this is Reagan Liv Hextrom. She's white with blue eyes. I'm brown with brown eyes. And I tell my daughter that if I ever go to Walmart with her, I need her birth certificate. Amen. And I don't want anybody thinking that I just told this girl. Amen. So this is Reagan Liv. She believes in the power of prayer. Come on, how many believe in the power of prayer? She believes in the power of prayer. She'll call us up around 8 o'clock before she goes to sleep and say, Mama, Papa, would you pray for me? Pray for me. And then she'll pray for us. And so this is Reagan Lev. This is James Anthony. He's going to be a piano player and a golfer like his daddy. This is Dono. He's going to be a mountain climber up there in Colorado. And this is Alea Sky. This is my son's daughter. She's, she's like the smiling baby. Brings joy to the room. Loves Jesus. She's always worshiping. Let me show you our latest one, our latest grandchild. This is our grandson, Wilfredo Noah de Jesus. So we Hispanics, we come deep. We're big people, man. We don't have one children. We, we have like 20. We have 20 kids. And so we praise the Lord for our family. So I introduce to you my family. So when you think about Pastor Choco, you can pray for our family in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, really quickly, Pastor has allowed me to bring in the, my, two of my five books, Amazing Faith, which will be on the West Lobby. If you are having a hard time with your faith during all this craziness in America, this is your book. And this is the book that I'm going to be preaching on, In the Gap. Today I'll be preaching that God is looking for a man or a woman to stand in the gap. If you're physically able to stand, would you stand for the reading of God's Word if you're physically able to stand. If not, that's okay. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. I won't preach long today. Maybe a good hour and a half. 
Thank you for the three people that said amen. I want to, now pastor has given me um, just kind of a carte blanche, if you will, to, to bring it to you guys. And uh, we come to church and we come to church to worship the king. You do realize that, right? I mean, if you were to go to England and go in to go meet the king of England, you would never go empty-handed. You always bring a gift to the king. And somehow in America, we've lost. We've lost it. And I want to encourage you to worship the king. He's alive and well. And he should be worshipped. Amen? Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. I look for a man among them who will build up the wall standard and stand before me in the what? In the what? Gap. The word gap there in Hebrew is Ibanayim. Ibanayim means be, between two places. So I look for a man, an ish, who would stand, uh, who would build up the wall and stand before me in the Ibanayim on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. And here's what God said, but I found what? I didn't find anybody. I didn't find not a man or a woman in Greensboro, North Carolina, who will stand for what they believe, stand for what they sing. I didn't find a man. Today, I want to challenge you to stand in the gap, to pray in the gap, do something. America, look at me, America has drifted. And there's a tsunami of immorality hitting the shores of America. And the answer to that tsunami, it's not the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. It's the Church of Jesus Christ. And I should tell you, I should tell you, and I didn't tell the first service because I like the last service because I can preach as long as I want. That you do not represent the elephant or the donkey. You represent the lion from the tribe of Judah. That's who we represent in this drifting culture. America has drifted and he's called his church to stand in the gap. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for the dedication of this child. We thank you, dear God, for the launching of these missionaries. Pray, God, your blessing upon every single one of your people here today. I pray you mess them up. I pray that you provoke their spirits to do something. Be with us, dear Lord. Help us to be men and women who would stand in the gap. In Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. amen. You may be seated this morning. In the 1950s, Eisenhower, who was not a particularly religious president, prior to going to the Geneva Peace Conference with the Soviets, he went on national TV and urged everyone to go to church and pray for the peace. In the 1950s, that type of gesture was routine back then, but it, was, it would be unimaginable today. In a short time, we've gone from defining culture, Christianity, we've gone from defining culture, being the culture, to being out of step, uncool, frequently mocked and ignored counterculture. So how do we adjust from being the culture to being a counterculture minority group? 
Watch this. We need to stop caring what people think about us and start caring about what God thinks of us. We cannot allow Hollywood to define who we are. Let me say that again. We cannot allow Hollywood to tell us who we are. We know who we are. We're children of the Most High. Our Father is not dead. We serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There is power in the name of Jesus. Demons tremble at the sound of that name. We need to stop letting Hollywood define us. Everyone knows that we are a church of a community of love. Everyone knows that we're a community of forgiveness. Everyone knows that we offer transformation to the brokenhearted. Everyone knows where we stand on the issue of marriage. There's no secret there. And we're not going to capitulate our conviction just because of a culture. That's a good place to say amen. We would not surrender our convictions just because of culture, just because it's drifted. But there are pockets all over America. There are gaps in America. We, we, we didn't create them as a church, but it, it, it encompassed upon us to stand in that gap. The average homeless person in America is not 35 years old. He's nine years old, my friends. Nine years old. We got nine-year-old kids sleeping in the streets of America. That's a gap problem. The girl who's being trafficked, she's not 25. She's five years old. And you and I know that there's no girl who's born on the planet who wants to be a prostitute. Or be trafficked. Something must have happened to this girl. Even Rahab in the Bible. So what do we do? With all these gaps that are occurring. In our culture. God calls you and I. Men and women. To stand in that gap. And to say. Not on my watch. If I die I die. But I cannot allow this thing to happen. Are you with me this morning? I haven't even started preaching. That's my introduction. I'm just trying to tell you this morning at Calvary Church that we have a problem in America. And the church is the solution to that problem. Years ago, rates of domestic violence and pornography didn't move us. Now maybe thousands of young girls who are victim of human trafficking will move us. What used to be the issue of abstinence and safe sex now is a question about sexual orientation for our young people. We have drifted. America has drifted. And I'm just trying to tell you that we need to stand in the gap. I remember in 2002 when I was pastoring the church. And uh, before I get there, let me just tell you who, because 99% of you all raised your hand. You didn't know who I was. And just to tell you about this Puerto Rican preacher that your pastor brought here. I was, first of all, you need to know, pastor gave me permission in the first service to come down. Because when I preached in Chicago, I like to go down and slap people. Amen. I see nobody sitting up here. What's going on? What's up with that? I do want to encourage somebody that God uses unusual people. The Bible is filled with unusual people that God used. Messed up people. And God can use you. My father abandoned my mom with six children in Chicago. 
I'm the youngest of six. So I am like Gideon, the youngest of my tribe. My brother was the leader of one of the meanest gangs in Chicago. I lived in Humble Park, Chicago. Humble Park was declared the worst park in the United States in the 1970s. That's where I lived with no Jesus, no father, destined for destruction for sure. Failed third grade because I couldn't read or write. You, 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 get, you, you know what I'm talking about. Everyone has a testimony. So that's where I lived. But I remember in the 1970s, a white police officer shot two Puerto Ricans in the back during the Puerto Rican festivals in Chicago. And that created an uproar. And it galvanized all the Puerto Rican gangs, the Latin kings, the Latin cobras, the disciples. All of those gangs got together. And for three days, they were rioting in the streets of Chicago. What you saw in 2020, I lived it in Chicago. It was bad. The National Guards had to come in and surround our park. There were paddy wagons upside down, houses on fire. There were people just breaking into stores and stealing goods. You get the idea. It was just a mess for three days. That's where I was at with no Jesus, no future. When I went to school, they said, what's your last name? I said, Jesus. Oh, you're the brother and so-so. This guy's not going to graduate. This was my story. But I remember that in the 1970s, during that three-day rioting, I, there, was a, there was a store, there was a grocery store on Division, Division Street today in Chicago is the main artery of the Puerto Rican community today. And, and on Division in California, there was a grocery store. And people broke into the grocery stores and they were stealing cases of goods from that grocery store. And I was watching this from a distance and I said to myself, I'm going to go steal me a bottle of Coca-Cola. I want to see how it felt to steal something. And so I walked, come with me to the store. I walked to the store. The windows were shattered. I walked over the threshold of the door. I walked into the store. People are running in and out of the store with cases of goods. I opened up the refrigerator. I took the bottle of Coca-Cola. I closed the refrigerator. I may be a thief, but I had a conscience of energy. I closed the refrigerator. My mother taught me well. Boy, close the refrigerator. I closed the refrigerator, walked over the threshold of the door, walked onto the vision street with the bottle of Coca-Cola, and then I hear a voice, put it back. Now today I know it's the Holy Spirit. I'm 58. But as a young boy, I'd never heard this voice before. Put it back. Turn around. Went back over the threshold, walked into the store, opened the refrigerator, closed the refrigerator, walked out into the store, out into the streets of division. And I'm like, who am I? I can't even steal a bottle of Coca-Cola. These people, these people are stealing cases. It reminds me of the prison letters of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in 1945, who wrote the prison letters, who am I, before he was killed by the Nazis in April 9, 1945. A few years passed by, the mayor of the city, Mayor Belandic, gave the Puerto Rican community $400,000 of a grant to hire young people to clean the streets of Chicago. I was one of them. I got hired. And my assignment led me to a place, 1665 North Mozart in Chicago, Illinois. I showed up on Monday morning, 1665 North Mozart. It was a church, Palestine Christian Temple of the assemblies of God. I said to myself, these people are Palestinians <laughs> in a Puerto Rican community. I didn't even know that. I walked into the church. I had my papers. I said, hey, my name is Wilfredo de Jesus and I'm going to clean streets. 
And the supervisor looked at me and said, oh, you're not going to clean streets. You're going to do VBS. I said, VB what? <laughs> Vocational Bible school. You're going to work with children this summer. I said, do I get a check? Because my mother's a single mom and I want to help her out. He says, you'll get paid. So I started going to that church every day, working with children, but I would see the young people of the local church. They would be at the altar. They would be praying on their knees. And it was weird. And June passed by. July passed by. Then August came. And how many know that curiosity killed the… That's right. So I went to the supervisor and said, hey, what are those kids doing on their knees? He says, they're praying to Jesus. He looked at me and says, do you know Jesus? I said, I don't. He said, would you like to meet him? I said, I would. Where is he at? I want to talk to him. He calls the young people of the local church over. He says, young people, come. We're afraid I would like to meet Jesus. And so he, he said, get in the circle. And the young people got in the circle. Then he looked at me and he said, get in the middle of the circle. I said, no. Let me help you out here in Greensboro, North Carolina. In the hood, you never get in the middle of anything. This is called a beatdown. I'm trying to help you out. I said, no. I said, the first guy that hits me, I'm going to hit him back. He said, close your eyes. I said, I ain't closing my eyes. The young people closed their eyes. They started praying. I closed one eye. I closed the other eye. And I said the most simplest prayer in August of 1977. I said, God, if you exist, change my life. I felt like an out-of-body experience occurred to me in that, in that circle. I felt like these young people did something. But nevertheless, I started attending that church. Amen. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday night, I went to church. Now, you need to know that in the Hispanic culture, at least for the most part, we were raised in Catholicism. You just don't break rank and leave the Catholic church and go to a Pentecostal church. My godmother, who dedicated me in the Catholic church, found out that I was going to a Pentecostal church. And she said, if you don't stop going to that church, I'm going to disown you. I said, give me a minute. I said, you never give me anything for Christmas? And Jesus gives me eternal life. I'll stick with Jesus. Truth be told, 20 years later, she repents and saw what God was doing in my life. But nevertheless, I started going to this church. That was August, September, October. November came. The youth pastor came to me and says, Choco, by the way, Choco, again, I love the last service because I didn't tell this to the first service. Choco comes from chocolate. It's nothing spiritual. Let's move on. It's just Choco. <laughs> Say, hey, Choco, and, and that's what they used to call me, chocolate, when I was eight years old. Hey, chocolate, chocolate. When I got saved at 14, the Christians got lazy, left the latte out, and called me Choco. That's how that whole started. Hey, Choco, we're going to the youth convention. Why don't you come with us? We're going to Lansing, Michigan. So I get in the church van. I head towards Lansing, Michigan with the church. Preacher is preaching at a hotel. He makes an altar call. I come to the altar. I'm kneeling down. I'm 14 years old. And as I was kneeling down, a woman comes up to me. An old lady comes up to me, puts her hands on my shoulder and begins to speak in tongues. Now, it's not Spanish because I'm Puerto Rican. I know Spanish. And then she prophesied. She said, I've called you to be a great leader. Stay in my path. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Not today at 58. I know that's the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis. But at 14, I'm thinking, this is pretty cool. I don't know who this lady is. 
But she's giving me a word. And I remember got, got up from the altar. Ten minutes later, I walked into the elevator thinking about what the lady said. And when the doors were about to close, y'all, a man in a suit walks in. And when the doors close, he turns towards me and he said, have you not heard? I've called you to be a great leader. Stay in my path. Now, this is freaking me out. I thought it was the husband of the lady that was at the altar. I just wanted the doors of the elevators open up and run. Because I didn't get on a minivan or in a church van to come from Chicago to Lansing. Because this is freaking me out. But little did I know, listen to me. Little did I know that God, the God of the universe was setting some parameters for my life. He was essentially saying, I know your father abandoned you. I know your mother has no plan for you, but the God of the universe has a plan for you. Stay in my path and I will bless you. And I started going to that church and fast forward. I got married to Elizabeth and the pastor's daughter in 1988. And then around 1998, the, my father-in-law comes to me and he says, Choco, I'm going to retire and I want you to put your name in to be the pastor of this church. I said, no. I said, I'm going to be a state trooper. I said, I want a gun. I said, I'll collect the offering for the church. And as, if I see somebody give a dollar, I'll show them my gun. You guys, by the way, you guys collect the offering too nice here. Now, we will be scanning you at the door. In the hood, we'll be like, let's scan their credit card. They, they're not givers. He says, pray about it. I said, I'm not going to pray about it. Furthermore, Elizabeth does not want to marry a pastor. She sees how people treat you. I don't want to be a pastor. 1999 comes. I go back to my father-in-law. I got convicted. I said, okay, I'll leave my name run to become a candidate of the church under one condition. All 68 people, that was the membership of the church, have to vote for me. If somebody doesn't vote for me, one person, this ain't the will of God. I'm going to be a state trooper. He said, okay. So there I am, July 9, 2000, in Chicago. I'm in the front seat with my wife. I said a prayer. It wasn't spiritual, but I did end in Jesus' name. I said, God, if you love me, please give me one person who says no in Jesus' name. It was only 68 people. They collected the ballots. It was really quick, less than five minutes. My father-in-law comes up to the pulpit and he says, Choco, congratulations. You're the new pastor of the church. I looked at my wife, Elizabeth, and said, babe, did you vote for me? I thought you were the only one. And here I am trying to punk God. And I got punked. And I became the pastor of that church, Palestine Christian Temple, that God sent me to in 1977. And in that same circle where I prayed in 1977, now I'm kneeling down, being anointed as the pastor of this church. And I knew, I knew that this gospel that you and I believe cannot stay in these four walls. That we must go outside, we must go outside and find these people who are broken, who are hurting, and that the gospel can be a metamorphosis for them. It can be transformational for them. And that's what I believe. So I started fishing, y'all. I started throwing the net in the hood. I threw the net. I brought in all sorts of fish, black fish, white fish, Asian fish, gay fish, straight fish. I brought them all in and I told the Holy Spirit, hey, you just told me to fish. 
Start cleaning these people out. And we went from one service to two services to three services to four services to 17 services on a Sunday to the glory of God. Why? Because my father loves broken people. In 2002, the commander of the police department came to me, said, Reverend, we have a problem. I said, what's your problem? He says, we've arrested 600 women for prostitution in nine months in this community, unduplicated. He says, anything your church can do? I said, commander, we will pray for you. Now, how many believe in the power of prayer? Let me help you out here, Calvary. I believe in the power of prayer, but I also believe that with revelation comes responsibility. When God reveals to you the condition of Greensboro, North Carolina, yes, we should pray, but we should do something about the gaps in our culture. I went home and I told my wife, I said, babe, they arrested 600 women in nine months, unduplicated for prostitution. I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning and I felt like my father in heaven said, Choco. Buy a farm. Now, I didn't, I didn't finish the story in the first service, but I love the last service. I go to the kitchen and tell my wife, I said, babe, I think God wants us to buy a farm. She says, what do you know about farming? I said, I don't know anything about farming, but I do know about obedience. Listen to me. Understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. You do not experience the more of God in your life or in your marriage or in your business because you're trying to understand God. He's never asked you to understand Him. So that following Sunday, I came to my church, like you guys. And I said, church, somebody here has a farm. Give it up. My wife was the worship leader. I said, come on, baby, lead worship. No one came to me that Sunday. Following Sunday, I come back. I said, serious? God told me. To buy a farm. And somebody here has a farm. Imagine all these Puerto Ricans looking at me in the hood. They're probably thinking, we voted for the wrong guy. Come on, who has a farm? Give it up. Come on, baby, worship. One month passed by. Two months passed by. Now, like a good preacher, I'm bringing scripture to this issue. God, Rahab in the Bible. Something must have happened to her. We must rescue these girls who are being trafficked. We must rescue these boys who are being prostituted. There's a cause for reconciliation. You know what I'm talking about. Give up the farm. Come on, baby, worship. Three months passed by, four months passed by, seven months. Now I'm coming to the pulpit. I'm like, come on, church, serious. Who has the farm? We got to rescue these girls. Come on, baby, worship. On the eighth month, A lady comes to me and said, Pastor, my uncle, his wife of 42 years, just passed away. He has a farm in Cambridge, Illinois, 15 acres. He heard you want to rescue girls from prostitution and human trafficking. He said he'll sell you the farm for $160,000. That was on a Sunday. On a Monday, I headed out to the farm with my wife and some of the elders of the church, and I walked around. I walked on the 15 acres. I came back to the team. And I said, thus saith the Lord, this is the farm he has for us. And one of the elders was like, Pastor Joko, this is the first one we looked at. We should look in Michigan or Wisconsin. And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. I didn't say that, but I wanted to. I said, so that you would know, look at me, 
So you would know that my father is with me. He's going to send me the money cash. I would not have to take a loan for this farm to rescue these girls. We left the farm, came back to Chicago three hours. A week passed by. I'm in Chicago. I'm in my house. And I, read, I said, Lord, I already said I'm not going to take a loan. What do you want me to do? Run. 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 Oh, you want me to run from the farm to Chicago? It's 182 miles. You want me to run? Takes me three days from Cambridge to Chicago. And I come to the church. The next Sunday, I said, Church, here's how we're going to raise the money to 160000 This is how we're going to save these girls. I'm going to run from Cambridge, Illinois. I'm going to run. I'm going to ride bike. I'm going to run. I'm going to ride bike. It's going to take me three days. And the people are like, Gloria a Dios. Praise God. Hallelujah. After the service, my wife Elizabeth said, Babe, can I talk to you? I said, What's up? She says, You're not a runner. You will die in the first mile. I said, I know. I know I'm going to die. But Jesus said, if you try to preserve your life, you've lost it. But if you lose your life for me, you found it. Seven o'clock in the morning, started running from Cambridge, Illinois. The church got so scared, they sent a doctor in a van to follow me. Take a long three days, boom, rode by, ran, rode by, boom. The uh, Cook County border. The police were waiting for me to give me an escort into Humble Park, Chicago. The police were there. The church was packed and everybody, oh, I'm running, I'm running. My ankles were swollen. My back is hurt. You get the idea. I'm not a runner, but I, I did it because my father loves these girls. Someone has to do it. Someone has to stand in the gap for these women. After the service, I find an accountant. I said, hey, how much did we raise, bro? He says, Pastor Choco, sit down. I said, no, tell me. He says, we raised 13,000. I said, you mean 113? He said, nope, just 13. I leave him. I go upstairs to my office. I close the door. I have a discourse with my father. Kill me. Why are you going to make me run for $13,000? I told you I needed 160,000. My ankles were swollen. My back was hurting. Phone rings. Hey, this is Choco. Hey, Choco, I heard you have a shelter for homeless women and children. I said, I do. I have 35 women and children that live with us. Well, my wife and I want to give you a washer and dryer. They come the next day. They're unloading the truck. I'm upstairs with their husband and wife. And he says, tell me about the run. I told him about the 600 women. I told him that there is no girl born a prostitute. I told him that with revelation comes responsibility, that we must stand in the gap for these people. He starts crying. She starts crying. He stands up. He's like, Pastor Choco, I haven't even talked to my wife. But if your church can raise $40,000 in the month of December, my wife and I will give you the rest of the money to buy your farm. <laughs> Next Sunday, I come to the church. Stood in front of the church. Church, somebody here has $40,000. <laughs> give it up. Come on, baby, lead worship. True story. We collected 30. It's December 31st, 9 o'clock in the night. Church, I'm short $10,000. Somebody here has $10,000. Give it up. Let's rescue these, these women. At midnight, a husband and wife said, hey, we've been watching you for nine months, giving your life away. 
standing in the gap for these people. You don't even know who they are. Here's $10,000. Go buy your farm. We bought the farm. We ended up buying 15 acres. Then we needed staff members. This is how we pastors, that's how we work. We needed staff members. So I go to a, a, a gentleman in our church. He's been there for like 30 some years. His name was Rico. Rico and Alice. Rico was a warlock with the Latin Kings. Look it up when you get a chance. Mean position. But the Lord saved him. And in 25 years, been in our church. I go to Rico. I say, Rico, you and Alice need to leave your job here in Chicago. And you need to go to the farm. And you need to stand in the gap for these women. They need spiritual father and mother. And they're like, Pastor, if you say so, thus saith the Lord. And by the way, Rico, you will be there for 10 years. Rico packs up this U-Haul truck, leaves his job. She leaves her job. Thus saith the Lord, Pastor said. Man, God give us members like that. Amen. And so they load up their truck. They leave from Chicago to Cambridge, Illinois. And like six months later, I get a call from Rico. Pastor, Pastor, I just came from the doctor. The doctor says I have like maybe seven months to live. I have a disease in my body, yada, yada, yada. I said, no, you don't. I told you 10 years. You will fulfill the 10 years. Does say it the Lord. By the way, he fulfilled 15 years to the glory of God. When God is in the mix, when you give your life away and you stand in the gap for those. So we ended up buying the farm. He became pastor of the farm, rescued over 742 women from prostitution and human trafficking. There is a cost for reconciliation. Someone has to stand in the gap. Someone has to pray. Where is that man? Where is that man and that woman who stands for what they believe? I remember in the city of Chicago, you remember this? The mayor, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, the former mayor, said that Chick-fil-A was not welcome in the city of Chicago. Apparently, he said that Chick-fil-A did not have Chicagoans' value system. And I was in Washington, D.C. with Rick Warren and his wife and my wife, and I heard this on CNN, and so I picked up the phone. I did what any man would do. I picked up the phone. I called the mayor's office, and I talked to his admin, and I said, tell the mayor that I said that Chick-fil-A is welcome in our city. And if it's a fight he wants, he's got to fight. I flew in the next day to Chicago, and I called the city councilman who presented the ordinance about Chick-fil-A not coming to Chicago. I called them up and I said, Alderman, I want you to meet me in the park. That's how we deal with things in Chicago. <laughs> he meets me in the park. I drive to the park with my wife, Elizabeth. I looked at my wife. I said, babe, stay in the car. This is going to get ugly. I get in going to the park. I said, Alderman, you and I have been friends for eight years. He says, yes, we have. I said, you and the mayor are wrong on this issue. You do not represent all Chicagoans. You do not have my value system. And I'm here to tell you that if you and the mayor want a fight, I will bring 1,000 men from our church and we will shut down City Hall. But you do not represent all Chicagoans. You need to back off. Today's city of Chicago has three Chick-fil-A's to the glory of God. Did you know that every time there was a problem on planet Earth, God would raise up a man or a woman Martin Luther King Jr. against the giant of Jim Crow. Corey Tim Boom against fascism. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. God raises up men and women. John the Baptist 
a gap man who stood in the gap and preached repentance. Jesus Christ, the ultimate gap person who stood in the gap for humanity. I'm just trying to tell you today that you didn't create the gap and I didn't create the gap, the gap, but it encompassed upon us to stand in that gap. Let me finish with this story before I let you go today. In the city of Chicago, I said it in the first service, we were giving out New Testament Bibles to young people out of a high school. And it's one of the 15 high schools that we adopted as a church. What does that mean, adopt? It means that every student of those 15 schools would get free haircut, free immunization, free book bag with school supplies, all sponsored by New Life Covenant Church of the Assemblies of God. All I was doing is building credit. How many know what I'm talking about? And so we would give these students free everything. So we were passing out New Testament Bibles. As the kids were coming out of their parents' car, we were giving them Bibles, and the kids were taking them. Well, one kid walked into his classroom with the New Testament Bible, and the professor saw it, and he grabbed the Bible from the kid's hand. And in front of the entire class, he said, this Bible is garbage. And he proceeded to throw it in the garbage. He threw the Bible in the garbage. It doesn't come out on CNN or Fox News. But there was a kid in that classroom who went to my church. He took out his phone, started texting his father. Papi, you will not believe what I just saw. Father gets the text. He texts me. Pastor Choco, you will not believe what I just heard. I get the text of what happened in that school, and I did what any man would do. I got in my car, and I headed towards the school. I get to the school. The principal knows me, Reverend DeJesus. How you doing? I said, not good. I said, one of your teachers threw the Bible in the garbage. Go get him. I want to talk to him. Side note, side note. When I got saved at 14, I'm all in with Jesus. There's no ambiguity. I don't go with culture. He's my father. My biological father abandoned me. And when he became my father at the age of 14, you just don't mess with my father and then get away with it. Go get him. I want to talk to him. She leaves her office. I stay in her office and I said a prayer. Again, it wasn't spiritual, but I did that in Jesus' name. I said, God, I pray that what he threw in the garbage was a math book. A social studies book. Because if he threw the Bible in the garbage, I'm going to kill him in Jesus' name. (laughs) She comes back, the principal, with a tall Anglo atheist. He walks into the office. I extend my hand. I said, my name is Reverend DeJesus. What's your name? He gives me his name. I said, sit down. I want to talk to you. And I looked at him and I said, is it true that you threw the Bible in the garbage? And for a moment... For a moment, I felt like my father was in heaven. He called all the angels. And they were were leaning over the balcony of heaven. And then my father was saying, check out my son. I looked for a man among them who would stand in the gap. I found no one. Is it true that you threw the Bible in the garbage? And he looked at me, church. He looked at me and said, yes, I did. With an attitude. My Puerto Rican blood, man. 
You should know that when my father abandoned me, I struggled with anger. I struggled with anger. I used to hit walls and my knuckles were bleeding all the time because I would see kids with their father and mother and I'd have, you, you know what I'm talking about. So it, when I got saved at 14, he didn't remove the anger. He just rerouted it to fight for injustice. I said, how dare you? For thousands of years, people have died for this book, for a page of this book. People have gone in canoes. People have crossed rivers. People have climbed mountains just to get a page of this book. You don't have the right to, to offend the faith of these kids. Who do you think you are? In like three or four minutes, I'm letting them have it. Pew, pew, pew. I'm calling in Scud missiles. I looked to the right to see what the principal was doing. She was looking up on the wall. Her neck was red. She's like, bro, you're on your own. After four minutes, I said, you're lucky, man. You're lucky. You're lucky I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor in this community, and we believe in repentance. And you will repent today. You're going to ask for forgiveness to those students. Then you, principal, get on the intercom and tell all the teachers in the school to respect the Bible. Attention, faculty. Attention, faculty. He went, took the Bible out of the garbage, asked for forgiveness. I left the classroom, went into my car, and then reality settled in. Choco, are you crazy? What are you doing? You have over 30 buildings in Chicago. They could call the mayor's office. They could call the police department. They could call inspectors to every one of your buildings. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. But I look for a man who would stand in the Ibanayim. And I found no one to stand for these women, for these girls, these boys. Two billion people on planet Earth cannot read or write. Would you stand with me for a moment? Let me finish here. Stand with me for a moment. I think we've come to a place in our lives that God is looking for that man and woman in Greensboro, Greensboro, North Carolina. Can I show you a scripture? Can you pull up the scripture, 1 Samuel 17.10? 1 Samuel 17.10. This is Goliath. This is Goliath taunting the armies of Saul. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. What does he say? Give me a what? Give me a what? Ezekiel, God is looking for his man. In 1 Samuel, the devil's champion is looking for God's man. Give me a man. Any one of you guys. This was Goliath. was saying, hey, let's fight. If you beat me, we'll serve you. And if I beat you, you guys serve me. For 40 days, look at me, church. For 40 days, the armies of Saul will line up. And when Goliath would come out and say this, they would run to their tents. Next day, with their Bibles. And I think in America, we've been lining up for 40 years, going to church with our Bible, giving our 10% if we do that. Meanwhile, there's giants. And you need to know this this morning, that no giant is born a giant. They're babies. If Saul should have handled this in chapter 15, we would not have to deal with it in chapter 17. 
When God told him in chapter 15, 1 Samuel 15, to kill everybody, the animal, the king. But now in chapter 17, God's champion, David, has to come to the scene. What are you saying, Pastor Choco? Whatever you don't kill today, your grandchildren will have to face it because you didn't have the courage to kill alcohol, pornography in your life. Kill it! Because one of your six grandchildren would have to face it. In my house, my dad was an alcoholic. He owned a bar. He abandoned me there. And I said from the day, there will never be liquor in my house. Never. Kill it. And whatever you don't kill, it will grow. And someone has to face it. Because you didn't have courage in 2023 to kill it. God has sent me here to Calvary to tell you, stand in the gap. Be that man, be that woman who would stand in the gap for their families and say, not on my watch. If I die, I die. We rescued so many prostitutes in Chicago that uh, one of the pimps got my phone number. I don't know how, but and started giving me death threats. If I don't stop rescuing these girls, they were going to come to my house. They knew where I lived and my family and I would be in danger. Well, the police department, the chief of detectives, the chief of police, everybody was in my house in the living room. My house was full of cops because they heard about it. And the, the chief of police said, hey, we're going to put a 24-7 squad card in front of your house to make sure nothing happens to you and your family. I said, no, 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 no. Hey, 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 you all have to leave. I have legions of angels. My father will send legions of angels and they will guard not only my house, but this entire block. So you can have your police department leave. Reverend, are you sure? Positive. Come on now. They can't curse something that's been blessed. I look for a man, a woman, who would stand for these kids. And I found nobody. I didn't find anyone. But that's going to change in Greensboro, North Carolina. With every head bowed and every eyes closed all over the sanctuary, those that are watching online, the Lord has spoken to you. And if you're here today, you're here today and you say, Pastor Choco, this sermon was for me. I need to be a, a man that stands in the gap. And if I die, I die. I need to be a woman to stand in the gap. Would you pray for me that God would give me the courage to stand for these young men and women, homeless, drug addiction, mentoring, poverty, do something. I need to stand in the gap. If that's you, I want you to lift your hands quickly. I want to pray for you all over the Lord. Bless you. Who else? Hands are going up. Hands are going up. This sermon was for me. I can't just waste my life on the sideline watching this happen. I must engage culture. 